one. I'll add my happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room and those that are joining us online as well. We hope that you feel honored and blessed uh, on this day. Um, if you've been, if you're visiting with us this morning, or maybe you've been hopping in and out, we are in this year-long message series. We're looking at the story of God and how his grace has entered into our lives. And what we've been finding out is that God uses real people to tell his story. And sometimes these real people make real messes of their lives, but even in the messiness of the, the lives that we see in scripture, we can learn some lessons. And that's what we're gonna find this morning uh, in the story of Solomon. So as we dive into God's word, let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful. Um, thankful for your presence in our lives. Thank you. Thankful for your guidance in our lives. Thankful for a chance to gather together as your people to be reminded of your goodness. In our lives. And so now, God, as we open up our lives and open up our minds to your word, I pray, Spirit, that you would do the personalized work in our lives. God, we need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to leave here changed and challenged as a result of meeting you and encountering you in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My guess is that everyone in this room has experienced a time in your life, a situation in your life where you were tempted to compromise your values, to, to compromise your beliefs in, in order to, to fit in maybe into a crowd or, or to start a relationship with someone or, or maybe to, to get what you want. Maybe for you, it was uh, you were tempted in a job interview or at the very beginning of a job, of a, a relationship with someone to embellish the truth a little bit, to, to make yourself look better than you actually are. Or, or maybe you were tempted at some point to, to lie or to deflect or to to, to blame someone else so that you could avoid being punished. Or maybe there was a time where you were tempted to, to not tell the whole truth so that you could close that business deal. But the fact is that we all know the feeling of compromise. It's that, it's that moment in time where we are faced with a decision and we know what we should do, but we choose the easy way instead of the right way. We, we choose the, the shortcut instead of doing the hard work. And, and the thing about compromise is that it's really sneaky and it can be so dangerous because it starts out so small. It's just this one small concession that we make. And in that moment of that small concession, it's really easy to justify our decision because after all, it's not gonna make that much of a difference. It's not really gonna hurt anyone. And it's just this one time, it won't ever happen again. But the reality is that every compromise comes with a cost and it can have devastating consequences if left unchecked, if we don't capture those things when they're just these small temptations in our minds. I, I think we all have examples that come to mind of people that have been in our lives who, whose lives just tumbled out of control. And it seemed like it happened out of the blue. They, they seemed to have it all together until they didn't. And then suddenly there's an affair or, or suddenly their, their addiction becomes public or, or suddenly there is, there's an arrest and and once that happens, we're all left with this question, like, how did it happen? It, it seemed like they had it all together. It seemed like life was going in the right direction, and it just seemed like it happened overnight. But the fact is that it didn't happen overnight. It, it didn't happen suddenly. It, it happened with small compromises over time. That first compromise, no one noticed, and so they did it again. Or, or they, they stretched it just a little bit further the next time, and over time, these small concessions in character, these small compromises in values, they began to snowball and it took over their lives and their lives unraveled. It becomes public in an instant. 
but it had been happening in the background of their lives for months or maybe even years. And that's exactly what happens to King Solomon at the end of his life. Solomon, who was once considered the, the wisest man in the world, made a series of compromises that, that slowly eroded his faith, that slowly eroded his integrity until he was completely off course. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings 11. We'll pick it up here in just a minute. Let me set the stage, the context of what's happening at this point in God's story. King David, who ruled for 40 years, and he had won peace for the nation of Israel through his, through his military campaigns. Um, and and he'd re, he had united or reunited the, the 12 tribes together. And then at the end of his life, he hands the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And from an early age, uh, God blessed him with supernatural wisdom and as you read through his life story you seem what you see what looks like and appears like just a life that's full of blessing that God allows him to build the temple he has these spiritual highs he's has this untold wealth and influence in the world at the end of first kings 10 it says this that king solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth the whole world sought audience with solomon to hear the wisdom that god had put in his heart, the, the heights of success that Solomon experienced in his, in his life is almost impossible to comprehend, which makes his fall that much more spectacular. Just a few verses later, at the very beginning of 1 Kings 11, we read this. King Solomon, however, loved foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites and Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And so God said, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. When you read through the account of Solomon, this chapter seems to come out of nowhere. For, for eight chapters, everything in Solomon's life was going up and to the right. He had success and wealth and influence and this devotion to God. And then in a matter of 11 verses, poof, it's gone. He loses everything. Solomon had everything that he could possibly want. But, but even with all of this blessing in his life, Solomon compromised his faith. He, he compromised his commitment to God because of his many wives. If you're like me, the thing that pops off the page when you read the account of Solomon is he had 700 wives? Man, I thought this guy was supposed to be the wisest man in the world. That does not seem to be a really good idea. Uh, but but there, there's more than just uncontrolled lust that's going on when, when we read this. In those days, it was, it was customary to, to marry the daughters of the surrounding kings to, to build these alliances. So, so, so the, the nations could experience peace. But the problem was that these wives that he married worshiped other gods. 
And at first, Solomon was able to keep his faith and he was able to keep his commitments to God intact. But as time went on, Solomon's heart began to turn away from God. And he began to worship these other gods, these gods of his wives. And if you would have told him this at the beginning of his reign, he would have said, you're crazy. He would have never anticipated that this unthinkable thing would happen, that he would turn away from God and devote his life to these other gods. Solomon's compromise had devastating consequences. His actions led to the division of, his, of, his, of the kingdom and the downfall of Israel. That The very thing that he worked so hard to bring together was destroyed because of his compromise. And so Solomon's life continues to, to, to uh, be this warning beacon to us. It stands as a testimony that, that big failures start with small compromises. Solomon didn't wake up one day and suddenly decide, you know what, I'm not gonna follow God anymore. Now for, for Solomon and, and for us, it, it's a slow fade over a number of years. And as I look at his life, I see at least four compromises, but we're gonna talk about four compromises that Solomon made that, that, that led to this slow fade and let uh, a good life go bad. The first one is this, that he had unfocused priorities. Ironically, I think that it was Solomon's success that led to his downfall. I mean, his resume was unmatched. He had incredible leadership qualities. He was able to, to make, build all of these different alliances. He had wisdom that people wanted. He had all of this knowledge that God had given him. Uh, he had a worldwide influence, and he had this unbroken run of success. Everything that he touched seemed to turn to gold, and he had these spiritually high moments with God. It says in Scripture that he met with God face-to-face -face on two different occasions. But unfortunately, his success created a platform that his immature character could not sustain. He literally had it all. And that caused him to let his guard down. In the beginning, Solomon had all of his priorities right. But, but the longer that he experienced success, the, the longer that he reigned, his priorities became less focused on God and more focused on his own desires. And since he was king and he could do whatever he wanted, he let this unguarded heart, this unfocused heart, distract him away from following after the God that he loved. And he started to buy into his own hype. And he started to think that, you know what? This kingdom is for my glory, not God's. And he made his life all about acquiring and accumulating more and more of everything. And actually, you see glimpses of, of this even from the very beginning, uh, the early days of Solomon's reign. It, right before he prayed to God for wisdom, it says that, that he married the daughter of Pharaoh, that, that he had this, he was enamored with, with power and influence, to have increasing power and influence in the world around him. And so he formed these alliances, and Pharaoh's daughter was the first of all of these foreign wives. And as, and as a result of that one compromising alliance, he began to make concessions in his spiritual walk, and he started to follow after these other gods. And I'm sure in his mind, he was thinking, okay, it's just one marriage. What, what's the big deal? I mean, as I look around, everyone else is doing this, so what's the big deal? And besides, it seems to be working. I mean, we're experiencing peace. We're experiencing prosperity. 
And once he got a taste of that, he just kept repeating that until he had 700 political marriages. Solomon was distracted by his desire for power and for influence, but he was also distracted in his pursuit of extravagance. He was the definition of opulence. There were no limits on his budget. He could buy whatever he wanted. He could build whatever he wanted. He could behave however he wanted. Self-control, restraint, not in his vocabulary. He didn't need it to have, didn't need that in his vocabulary. And he records later in the book of Ecclesiastes all of the projects that he pursued, all of the pursuits of his life that he chased after, houses and vineyards and gardens and incredible wealth. In fact, he, he would get $1.6 billion a year in gold delivered to him. Over time, Solomon switched his focus from pursuing God and instead started to believe that the purpose of his life was to amass as much success and status and significance as he could. By most standards, people would read the account that's in those six or seven chapters of Solomon's life and say, he's killing it. Like he, he is winning at life, but that is not how Solomon recorded it at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon lost his focus. He had these unfocused priorities. And as a result, he just jumped in from one pursuit to the next, thinking that, that his happiness, thinking that his contentment, that his purpose in life would happen in the next project, with, with the next marriage, with the next load of gold that came into his life. Solomon got everything that he wanted, but he wasn't happy. And at the end of his life, he was just this cynical old man. He got to the end of all of his extravagance and at the end of all of his self-indulgence, and he said, it didn't deliver. I, I thought that this would bring satisfaction in my life, and it didn't deliver. That was a waste of time. That was a waste of a life. He got distracted, and he aimed at the wrong target. And the crazy thing is, is that if we were to look at his target, it looks an awful lot like the American dream. Nice house, big bank account, freedom to do whatever I wanted. And, Sol and Solomon says to that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and it doesn't deliver. If, that, if those kinds of things could bring joy and satisfaction, I would know. So as you consider it, what, what is your definition of a successful life? What is the focus of your life? What is the target that you're shooting for, for lasting joy, for lasting satisfaction? The truth is that if you want to know the answer, all you have to do is look at your calendar and look at your bank account, and it will reveal what you're actually aiming at. Solomon's life reminds us how easy it is to, to get distracted in this life and, and to start chasing after contentment and chasing after happiness and all the wrong things and just lead, lead this unfocused life. Now hear me, I, I'm not saying that, that money and trips and possessions, none of those things are inherently wrong. I'm just saying, I think Solomon would say the same thing as 
just don't look to those things as the source of your satisfaction. Don't look at those things as the source or the, the, the source or the purpose of your life. You'll ultimately come to the same conclusion that Solomon did. I, our joy and our satisfaction was never meant to come from these temporary, temporal things of life. Jesus gave us a really easy target, a very simple target. Someone came to him one time and said, what's the most important commandment in scripture? In other words, what's the target that we need to be aiming for? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you'll chase after a relationship with your loving God and you'll let him lead your life, and if you will love the people that God sends your way and let them love you back, then you'll find the happiness, the lasting satisfaction that you're looking for. But Solomon got distracted and he became unfocused and his life got off course because he had these unfocused priorities. But he also had an unbelieving heart. Solomon's problem was not that he had this um, he didn't have just uncontrolled lust. It wasn't just uncontrolled greed. His core problem was that he didn't trust God. God had given him and the nation of Israel very explicit instructions for the behavior of the kings of Israel. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 17. It says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray and he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. God told the kings of Israel that he didn't want them establishing these arranged marriages. He didn't want them establishing these treaties with other nations and he didn't want the king to accumulate all of this wealth, the silver and gold, because God said, I want to promise you that I'm going to be your source of security. You don't need to be looking at these other things. But Solomon didn't believe God's promises. So he disregarded God's commands. And he took matters into his own hands. He thought that he needed a little more cushion in his life. He, he felt like he needed some more insurance in his life so that he could have the security that he was looking for. And at the core of his disobedience was this unbelief. It was a lack of trust in God, and the same is true in our lives. If you peel back the layers of any sin in your life, at the core what you'll find is a seed of unbelief. In whatever area of your life that you're not fully obeying God, it's because deep down you don't believe that he'll come through for you. Deep down you don't think that he'll follow through on his promises. So you take control of that area of life. You take the reins to control that area of your life. Maybe it's in your dating life. And you know what scripture says about dating unbelievers. But God doesn't seem to be sending any good candidates your way. And so you compromise a little and you lower your standards a little. And at the core of that, it's because that you don't trust in God's timing. You, you don't think that he'll follow through and provide for you a mate in your life that, that can help you chase after Jesus. So, so you keep control over this area of your life or, or money is a big one throughout scripture God calls his followers to, to be generous with whatever it is that he's blessed them with that, that we are to give the first and the best back to him and the Bible suggests that we start at 10% and God promises to bless his followers who are generous with what he's blessed them with but most people don't follow God's guidelines 
And, and I don't think it's because they're greedy. I don't think it's because they're stingy. I think it's because they're scared. But what if I can't pay my bills? How can I really make ends meet? What if something comes up unexpected? And at the core of that is really this question is, will God come through? Can I really trust that God will take care of me? It's a trust issue. It's a belief issue. Or maybe it's a refusal to forgive someone. God says throughout scripture, I want you to forgive and I want you to leave justice to me. But we sometimes doubt and we wonder, God, are you gonna handle this the way that I'd handle it? Or, or, or we don't trust that, that he'll actually follow through and we're afraid that they may get away with it. And so we hold on to vengeance and we hold on to bitterness and we hold on to resentment. And at the root of it is that we don't trust that God will do what he says he's gonna do. So is there an area in your life where, where you're, you're compromising in some way, where, where you are, are bending or maybe you're ignoring scripture because you have this unbelieving heart? Yet you don't fully trust, don't fully believe in the promises of God and that he'll do his part. And maybe the area that you're thinking about, you're saying, it, it's not really that big a deal. I mean, it's just this one area, everything else God has control over, but this one area, I just, I can't quite let it go. But what you need to know is when you reject God's commands, no matter how small it is, what you're doing is you're taking yourself and you're placing yourself out of the protection of God and out of the blessing of God and that is not where you want to be but that's what happened to Solomon his unbelieving heart his his lack of trust in God's promises his lack of submission to God with his wives and his wealth it led him to a place where he was outside of the blessing of God and his life slowly unraveled the third compromise that we see in Solomon is that he had unheeded warnings God had warned the nation of, of Israel over and again, and he specifically had warned Solomon of the consequences that if he married foreign wives, that his heart would be led astray. God always warns before the consequences fall in our lives. Maybe you've experienced some of those warnings from God in an area maybe where you've been compromising a little bit. Have you ever had one of those, those wake-up calls from God in the middle of the night? where you wake up and you, you kind of break in a cold sweat and your mind is just racing and it's filled with some area that you know you're compromising in, some area that you've not handed over to God or maybe you've had a dream of some kind that, that directly confronted that area, that, that area that, that you're, you feel like you're hiding from God and God says, no, I see it and I'm gonna reveal it to you. Or maybe it's, maybe it's through the Bible. Maybe when you're reading through Scripture or maybe here on a Sunday morning and you hear the, the Bible taught and it just jumps off the page or jumps off the screen and you're like, that's me. That, that, that's an area that I need to work on. Or maybe it's from another person who, who loves you enough to confront you. To, that they see a blind spot in your life and they lovingly come and, and bring that to your attention regardless of how it is that God brings those into your life, how do you respond when those things happen? And here's what I'll tell you. How you respond will reveal the content of your character. Maybe a friend comes to you and points out that, you know, I, I've seen that you've been really short-tempered with your kids lately, and, and you're saying some really mean things in anger. How, how do you handle that? Do, do you justify, do you defend, do, do you deflect, or do you take it to heart? 
The content of your character is revealed in how you respond to these warnings that come into your life. Or, or maybe it's a coworker. Maybe they don't even know Jesus. And they come to you and say, you know, you, you seem to complain a lot. Every time I'm around you, you're constantly critical of everyone around you. What do you do with that warning? The, the content of your character is revealed in how you respond. God, God is speaking to you in all these different ways. He, he's warning you because he doesn't want to see you fall. He, he doesn't want to see your life come unraveled. When you receive those corrections, when you receive those warnings in some sensitive area in your life, how do you respond? Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Do you know who Solomon's talking about? He's talking about himself. And he's saying, listen, don't be like me. God doesn't want to see us make a train wreck of our lives. So he sends in different ways these warnings through his word through other people, through dreams, God will warn us as best as he can. So what are you doing with those? Unfortunately, Solomon plowed right through all of them, didn't obey any of the warning signs, went right over all of the speed bumps and just fell headlong into his own self-destruction. And then the last compromise that we see is he had unwise friendships. Verse two in chapter 11 says that Solomon held fast to his wives in love. And as a result, they turned his heart after other gods. That, that's just the nature of influence in our relationships. Perhaps the, the single biggest factor that will determine your long-term journey with Jesus is the people that you surround yourself with. Your closest relationships, your closest friendships will shape the course of your life. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And this is Solomon's life. Parents, I would get this on the walls of, of your kids', um, kids rooms because this is a true statement. And this is what happened to, to Solomon. Um, he started out as a man of character. But slowly over time, the bad influences of the people he surrounded himself corrupted his heart. Ironically, Solomon actually, early on in his life, says the, says the same thing. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fool, fools suffers harm. I, I think intuitively, we know that we are impacted by the people around us. Even if you just hang out with somebody for a day, if you ever hang out with someone who's just really negative, who complains all the time, who, who gossips about other people, isn't it true that you find yourself kind of being drained at the end of the day? Or maybe you find yourself getting sucked into those kinds of conversations and you find yourself being critical and negative about other people. And on the other hand, if you spend some time with someone who's, who's positive, who's encouraging to be around and optimistic, don't you find that by the end of your time with them that you're feeling inspired and, and you, you feel yourself kind of doing the same thing and being uh, personally encouraging to other people? The principle is that eventually you'll become like the people that you hang around the most. This is the power of influence, that, that we are constantly being influenced by the people around us, whether we recognize it or not. I heard someone say one time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, as a pastor, I often hear people say that, that they want to, to see change in their lives. 
that, that they feel stuck and they don't know how to get unstuck. And what scripture reminds us over and over again is that the greatest influence on your future is the choice of friends in the present. The greatest influence on your future is the companions, it, it's the, the friendships, it's the relationships that you surround yourself with in the present. So if you wanna see real and lasting change in your life, then you need to have the right people in your corner. You need to have the right people in your life. We, we need to have people who are a little bit further down the road than us, that, that can speak wisdom into our lives, that, that have experiences, that, that have uh, successes and failures, and they can glean from that wisdom and pass it along to us. We need people who are heading in the same direction as us that, that can challenge us, that can encourage us when, when we get a little bit down. We need people who will hold us accountable when we fall short. And we need people in our lives who will celebrate with us when we succeed. That's one of the reasons that, that you hear us over and over again say, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. One of the core values around here is that you can't do life alone. That we need to have a community of believers around us that can encourage us and challenge us to become the person that God created us to be and to accomplish the purposes and the plans that he has for our lives. So as you look at your closest friendships, in what direction are they influencing you? Do you have some people in your life that are pushing you in your spiritual journey? Or are most of your friendships drawing you away, distracting you away from who God called you to be. But it's not just about choosing the right people to, to uh, influence us. We're also called to be wise friends to other people. As followers of Jesus, we are called to influence the people around us, that we actually have a responsibility to, to lead them closer to God through, through our words and through our actions. So think about the people in your life, your, your friends, uh, your family, your, your co-workers, your acquaintances. How are you impacting them? Are, are you leveraging that time, leveraging that influence in their lives to make a difference, to bless them in some way, to, to point them in the direction of God? If you read this story, it, it's, it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch this progression in Solomon's life that over the course of eight chapters, he goes from wisdom to ruin. He has this good life going and it becomes just the example of someone not to follow. It reminds me of a passage in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. The, the lesson is don't be like Solomon. Don't start well and then have distractions and a lack of trust and, and compromise destroy your life. If we want to finish well, if we, want, if we want to run the race that's marked for us, then we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we need to throw off all the stuff that entangles us, the stuff that so easily distracts us so that we can run this race that God put before us. You know, it, it's focus on the small decisions that'll make the biggest difference. It, it's making sure that we are paying attention and that we are refusing to make the small compromises, 
to, to make the small concessions that allow us to experience all that God promises to provide. Solomon's heartache could have been avoided. And a lot of the heartache that we experience in this life could be avoided if we focused our attention and made sure that, that we didn't compromise, that we didn't compromise on our priorities, that, that we didn't compromise on our trust in God and our obedience in what he says is right and good and true, that we didn't compromise in our humility, that we could actually receive warnings and corrections in our lives and make the changes necessary, that, that we didn't compromise in our friendships, in our relationships. So I want to give us just a moment before we head off into the busyness of the day to wrestle with that a little bit. What, what is it that God might be revealing to you? What is it that you can look at your life that's holding you back from chasing after him? Are there some things that have gotten entangled around your life that you need to let go of? Have you gotten distracted for a season in your priorities and you've You've drifted off course and you need to, to retrain your eyes on the right target, to, to chase after God with all you have, to love the people that he puts in your path. Or maybe there's an area of your life that, that you have refused to give over to God and you can recognize that at the core of that is, God, I don't know that I can trust you with this. And, and, there, and there's fear that's there and you need to deal with that and hand that back over to him or, or maybe God has been sending you some warnings through people that love you and you've stiff-armed them. But it's happened with, with enough frequency that you're recognizing, I need to make this change. Before the consequences fall in my life, I need to make this change. Or maybe you need to get really intentional about who you're surrounding yourself with to, to invite some fellow believers to come around you that, that, that can encourage you, that can be a blessing in your life, that can hold you accountable if there's some areas of your life that you need to make some changes. But what is it that you feel like you may have a small compromise going on in your life? If you want to avoid the big failures in your life like Solomon, then make sure that you're paying attention to the small decisions that you're making on this daily basis. Let me pray for us. God, we are here this morning because we know that we need you in our lives. God, we want to finish strong. We don't want to start well and then finish on a bad note. God, we want to finish strong. We want to experience your blessings in our lives. We want to experience the promises that you've made in our lives. God, we want to become the people that you've created us to be and we want to accomplish what you have set forth for us to accomplish. So God, I, I just pray that in our own lives that you would shine a spotlight, that you would reveal if there's any areas where we have been tempted or maybe given in to the temptation to compromise. Help Solomon's life remind us that we can avoid these big failures if we pay attention to these small decisions. God, we want to, to honor you with our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. God, give us the kind of grace that we need to understand where we are and to make the changes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you guys have a great Sunday morning, and we'll see you back here next week. Have a good one, guys.